Welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Steps resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. How many of you guys have some kind of big celebration going on today? Anybody have like family thing? How about tomorrow, Christmas Eve? How many of you are patient? You wait till Christmas Day, Christmas morning. Okay, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited about Christmas. I love this time of year. And you know, one of the things that's fun about the Christmas season, we've been really leaning into this over the last two weeks. We've been talking about some Christmas movies. And if you were here, we had a great time with that. And just thinking about Christmas movies, you know, and preparing for this message, I, I thought of one that's, to me, one of the, the, the key classic Christmas movies. And that's A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And if you know that story well, you, you probably watched it as a child. The, the Christmas Carol is about Ebenezer Scrooge who's a miserly old man who is all about his money and his business, and that's what he cares about, and it's, it's all about that, until, until one fateful night when his former, now-deceased business par partner, Jacob Marley, I was really trying not to say Bob Marley today by accident, but, but Jacob Marley comes back, and he visits him, and he, all, not only does he visit um, Scrooge, but he, or, uh, yeah, not, not only does he visit Ebenezer, but he, he visits, uh, uh, he's visited by the ghost of Christmas, do you remember? Past, the ghost of Christmas present, and, and future, of yet to come, right? And so all three of these spirits, these ghosts, they visit him, and because of this perspective that, that he gets, Ebenezer Scrooge is transformed. He's completely transformed from this miserly old man, this very greedy, into a very kind and very generous person, all within the length of a feature-length movie. And so it's amazing, the transformation, all because of a perspective change. And, you know, I think how we change is very much the same way. We're transformed when we have a new perspective on our lives, when we see things from a different place. And you know, you, your, your perspective is all about where you're standing from, right? So if you're standing right here and you're looking at something, you have a certain perspective, but then if you move over here and you look at that same thing, you have a different perspective, a different angle on it. So your perspective is really about where you're looking at things from, how you're looking at things. And here's what I'm hoping for out of our time together this morning. I'm hoping for a bigger and better view this Christmas in your life, a, a bigger and better perspective, a newer perspective, a fresh perspective on your life that brings new hope to you and that brings transformation. And, you know, there's always three ways that you can look at your life from. There's, there's your present, of course, and you see your life from the perspective of where you're sitting right now. You see your life exactly from this moment. Everything that's happened, everything that will happen, like you're looking at it from this, this moment. But that moment that you're, you're experiencing now, your present, is sandwiched between two other very important perspectives. And that's your past perspective and then your future perspective. And, and your past and your future always are a part of who you are simultaneously, meaning th there's going to be a future for you and there has been a past. And so those, those three perspectives are real important. I'm going to come back to the future you in a moment, but let's talk about the past you. I'm about to read uh, from Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story. And my dad would always read this to our family growing up every Christmas. Before we'd do the presents and all that kind of stuff, it was just like his special tradition. And so I can't read Luke chapter 2 to you today without thinking of my dad, without thinking about my family, where I've come from. In fact, every part of what I do really comes out of where I've come from. And the same is true for you. So I'm a pastor today, and my dad was a pastor, and so I learned so much from him growing up, 
great example, great man of God to this day, someone I admire, uh, look up to so much. I'm only here because of him and my mom, because they came together in, in marriage and they, they decided to have children. And so I'm only here. I'm a product of my parents, literally. And then not only that, everything that I was taught and everything that I, I watched growing up, it's a part of who I am. And so I'm not really here on my own and neither are you for good or for bad. There's a past behind you. You didn't get here on your own. You didn't plan it. So everything that you are or have accomplished or haven't accomplished, all of that, it's coming out of something. And, and here's the first lesson in your notes. This is a really important foundation where we're going. My life has an important history. So my past is not from me. So, so your life has a history, and we're going to talk about perspective this Christmas, and we're, we're going to look at our lives in a fresh way, but you got to begin here that, you know, you, you're so caught up in the present moment, you, you can easily forget that, man, you, you didn't get here on your own. There is a lot of people that have influenced you, good and bad. You, you didn't decide to be born. There's a whole history, and I, I know what someone's thinking right now. <clears throat> I know there's somebody here that's thinking, well, Brandon, I'm a self-made woman. I'm a self-made man. I have got here by, by the strength of my tenacity and my perseverance, and I didn't have a lot to go off of as a child. I didn't like you have a good upbringing or good role models, my parents. So I've had to do this all on my own. And what I would say to you is, yeah, I'm sure you have done a lot, and, and we applaud that effort, but, but you, there's so much that you might be overlooking that, that has nothing to do with you. There's a creator who gave you breath and gave you life. The fact that you're here comes from something, comes from someone. And everything that we are, it's not on our own. Everything that we do, it comes out of something. And that perspective brings humility to realize that, that how I got here was not based on what I did. We had something to do with it, but how I got here, it comes from somewhere, comes from someone. Now, there's another deeper layer to this that we, we're kind of building toward. And, and that's that not only did everything that, that, that happened before you allow you to be where you are today, and not only do you have a history, but you also have, if you're honest, you have some bad stuff in your history, some stuff that you're embarrassed of or ashamed of or some stuff in the, in the past that you'd like to redo. And when the Bible speaks about our past, it speaks about our sinfulness, the, the fact that we were born into a human race that had been marked by sin, that we were, we were all a part of that, that we all have a sin-stained past. And God teaches us through the Bible that there's consequences for our sins. So, so many of us have been impacted by our own sins, by the sins of others. Like, we know what that feels like. Maybe you were li literally living in rebelliousness at some point in your life against God, and you just weren't following him, you didn't believe in him. But the Bible teaches that, that, that there's a layer of sinfulness underneath all the, the past that we see, that there's this kind of cancer that's been going on in our life. And that, that cancer is, is sin. It destroys everything good. And this Christmas graphic, uh, my wife made that Forever Christmas, and I remember her sitting in our living room couch designing this, and she was talking about it, and she'd show it to me, hey, what do you think about this? And she'd add, like, this, this, this next, like, film. She wanted it to look like someone wrote on a window, and so she's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some snowflakes on there in the corners. What do you think about that? Or, I'm, I'm going to put some lights behind it so it looks like you're looking out the window. What, what do you think about that? And, and, and she just kept adding these different layers to it. In fact, they have this new design uh, term called maximalism. You know, it's like the reaction to minimalism, which was like making everything super simple. And now, like in design, a lot of people are like going for like a lot of stuff, a lot happening in it. You might see that around. Well, what I liked about that and why it applies to this lesson today is that that there's different layers that you see, and and you and literally in Photoshop, you can unclick different layers and you can see the image without certain layers. And if you could just strip away everything else and look at just your past. One thing that you would see real quick is that there's, there's a layer underneath everything else that's been happening in your life that's been sabotaging everything that you hope for in your future, and that's really impacted more than you realize everything that's going on in your present. And that's that your past has, has sin in it. Not only you personally, but the human race. Like we have this huge problem called sin that's really destroyed everything good. I mean, the, the wars and the poverty and the problems and the brokenness, all of that stuff stems from something deep, a layer underneath what you see when you just look at, hey, I was born in this year at this place, at this hospital, and these are my parents. Like you, you come from somewhere. We talked about that. But there's something else that's behind you that you may not, you may not be aware of that's really important before we can get to your future, we got to go back and say, man, there's, there's something in our past that's really been messing up a lot of the things we aspire to in our future. 
There's something in our past that's really hindered where we could have been today if it were not for that thing. Like, like there, is, there is a problem that the Bible pinpoints it and says that problem is sin. It's a self-centeredness. It's a pride. It's a putting me first, doing things my way. No thanks, God. I know you created the world. I know you created me, but I want to do things my way. And that can just pop up in a moment any time, this pride, this, this it's about me, I'm living for me, it's about my comfort, my, you know, my attainment, myself, and, and that's sinfulness. Now, you can try to ignore it, you can try to suppress it, but I'm telling you, th- there's a problem, and that problem is sin, and it's a big deal. So, so the point of all this is that as you're trying to succeed at whatever you're trying to succeed in right now, a marriage, raising kids, having a career, accomplishing goals, whatever you're trying to exceed in, now, and, and whatever it is that you're hoping for in your future, 2019, I hope it brings this, I hope I get there, I hope I can do this, all of that, you're, you're fighting against, in a sense, the ghost of Christmas past, because there is something in your past, in all of our past, deep in your past, in the water, so to speak, that, that you've drunk, and this part of being humanity, and that's called sin, and it's like a cancer that destroys, and, but here's the good thing, that's the bad news, the good thing is God's got a solution for this. Because our sinful past can't be overcome by just trying harder. Uh, you know, hey, let's just, that's the past, it's gone, let's just forget about it, no, it'll pop right back up. You know, it's part of your ancestry, and it goes deeper than your genetics even, it goes deeper than your DNA. It's a spiritual, internal problem, and, and God's got a solution for it that's better than any solution we can come up with. Now, let me just pause here and say this, God... The reason why he's the best person for us to turn to, whether you're a longtime believer or you're just checking things out, the reason why he's daily the person to turn to about this problem in our past is because he's different than all of us in two ways. And and you need to know this because there's a lot of people in our world that say, hey, I can help you with your problems. I wrote a book on it. You buy my book, subscribe to my seminar, follow my YouTube channel, whatever. And, And people got their different things and they're like, hey, let me help you overcome, you know, all your problems. And they'll kind of like, they'll, they'll, they'll put their finger on a little point of your pain. And they'll say, hey, you got this pain, so let me help you. I got some answers for you. And, and listen, there's a lot of great learning out there. I mean, you can go to school, you can learn a lot. I mean, you can, you can get some books and you can learn from others. You can be mentored. All that's so great. It's good. But, but there's an underlying problem that, that no other human can help you with on their own. Because they're like you. They also have that sin problem. But God is different from us in two ways. One is that God does not come from somewhere. So we talked about that top layer of your past. You know, you, you can probably name your parents that you came from. You kind of know where your past is. You know what you come out of. You know where you're born. God's different from you. He's eternally existent. He's always been. He's always been. I can't even wrap my mind around that, but that's why he's God. That's why we worship him, because it's not like he's just this great dude that's a little bit better than everybody else, and, you know, he accomplished a lot. No, like, God is eternally existent, far better than that. He doesn't come from someone else. Like, he always has been. He always will be. He's God. He's the first. He's the beginning. He's different from us. So his past is not like your past. There's not this pinpoint on the map where, boom, he was created. He's always been. He's eternal. We don't understand it because we're human. That's God. The other way that he's different from us is that he has no sin. He has no sin. He's the only one. He's the only one of us. I mean, we all have our sin. He never, he never sinned. In fact, when Jesus, God in the flesh, came and walked this earth, he was, he was born of a virgin, Virgin Mary, which is why he was able to save us from our sins because he wasn't born of a man who had that sinful DNA in him. He, he walked this earth and it says, although he was tempted like you and me, he knows temptation, he never sinned. So, so God's different from us in those two ways. His past is different in those two ways. And so he's got a solution for our, our problems. And this brings great humility to say, wow, hey God, I need you. I, I'm not from my own. I didn't come, you know, I, I came from somewhere. I was created. So there's a creator. I came out of something. Right, and I got a problem I can't solve, and no one else can really help me solve that. I'm like, but God, you can, because you're different. You're higher. That just brings some great humility. Well, that's a critical foundation for us to get where we need to go and talk about your future. We, we had to talk a little bit about your past. And, you know, when Jesus was born, you know, he was, he was born into a great story. And, you know, you're in a story. Your, your history is his story. God's writing a story in your life, and you were born in the exact time and the exact place, and you may have chose something different, but God put you right where he wanted you. 
purposefully because he's got a beautiful story that he's writing with your life. And don't assess all of your life when you've only seen the preview, when, you, when you've only seen the introduction, that first chapter, when you've read the few pa- first few pages. God's got a great story for you, and it's an eternal story. It's an eternal story. But let's see where Jesus entered the story in Luke chapter 2 when he came down to earth to enter the human story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David. Listen, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So Joseph's gonna be the earthly father of Jesus not his biological father. He's of God, born of a virgin Mary, but he's going to be his earthly father to raise him, his dad. Now, Joseph, it says he's going for this census because he's of this certain family, the house in line of David. And so he's going back to, to Bethlehem for this census. Now, in the Roman Empire, they would do these periodical censuses, and they were doing it for two reasons. One, for taxation, they want to know the population, and everybody pays their share, and not too unlike our, our current uh, government and situation. They, they had to assess how many people there and what they owed, so that was one purpose. The other one was for the purpose to see who was liable for military service, so they could see the strength of their army and how many people they could count on in a time of war. Well, in that era, the Jews were exempt from military service in the Roman Empire. So likely in Palestine, this census was taking place for one purpose for them, and that was for taxation and, and the population and all this. And so they're going back. Joseph is being summoned back by their government to go back because he's of this certain lineage, the house and line of David. He's going back to Bethlehem, which is where he was required to go and register so that the government could, could count him. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about how um, this, this family that, that Joseph's a part of, how it was really a special family. It goes back to Abraham, this man where God made an agreement with him, a promise with him, and he said, hey, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna do great things through your family tree. Your, in fact, your, your descendants are gonna be so, uh, the, the, they're gonna be so many, they're gonna outnumber the, the grains of sand on the seashore. I mean, it's gonna, I'm gonna do great things through you. So all of this begins with Abraham, And it goes down to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And then you get the nation of Israel, and he had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see a lot of the story of the opening pages of the Bible come out of this promise. Well, if you read like we did a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of of Joseph and his family, Joseph is the 40th generation. And we talked about how that 40 is a very significant number. It's mentioned over 150 times in the Bible. And it's, and it's, a, it's a number that symbolizes a time of testing, a, a time of suffering, a time of trials, a time of waiting, a time of preparation. And we talked about all the different times in the Bible that that, that is mentioned. And it's not unintentional that God had Joseph be the 40th generation from Abraham. And you can see literally, you'd hear the stories all throughout the Old Testament of every generation leading up to Joseph because Joseph was the end of one chapter and Jesus came to bring a whole new chapter, a new covenant, a new season. And he, and, and he, and he was a part of something though. He was born into a story. See, Joseph was part of something very special. And you're a part of something really special that you don't even realize is going on another layer under the surface of your life is that, that in your past, God's been at work long before you identified God at work in your life. Before you started following him and worshiping him and living for him or just curiously seeking him out and, and checking him out. See, he's been at work for a long time. And he had been at work a long time before Mary gave birth to Jesus. He had a plan, a plan to solve the problem of sin. And his plan was Jesus. You know, this is God entering the human story in a new and unique way. Fully God, Jesus came as fully God, but also fully man. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's go back to the story here and pick it up again in verse 5. It says, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
So they took this long journey to Bethlehem from Nazareth. It's a primitive road that they would have traveled on, been really rough, especially if you're pregnant. It was about an 80-mile journey that they traveled. And you know what's interesting here, this verse 5, it says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, to him and was expecting a child. That, that, that word expecting really catches my attention. Expecting. You know, that, that's an interesting word. You know, we use that word when someone's pregnant and they're, and they're expecting a baby. But we also use that word often for things that we hope for in the future. You know, I'm expecting something. I'm planning for something. I'm hoping for something out in the future. So we've talked about our past. We have a context. We have a history. But we also simultaneously always have a future. We have, we have expectations for a future. You know, you usually operate in the future in any endeavor that, that you're in, engaged in. Think about it, because you always have some kind of expectation of how it's going to go. Even if it's an unintentional expectation, you, you kind of assume it's going to be a certain way. You know, we expect people to behave a certain way based on our past experience with them. We expect tomorrow to go somewhat according to our schedule that we've planned. We expect that project to kind of turn out how we hope it will if we really go after it. You know, we expect this new year to work out at least close to how we hope. You know, Joseph and Mary were in love, as any young couple is, and that's, you know, just newly engaged, and, you know, they're planning for the future, or planning for a child. They, they're, they're expecting certain things. When they looked into each other's eyes, what do, you, what do you think that Mary and Joseph expected out of their future? What do you think they hoped for? You know, just think about a young couple in love, and, you know, they're excited about their future. What, what's, what things are they expecting? What are they hoping for and planning? Maybe where they're going to live. Maybe how many kids they're going to have. What do you think, Mary, seven? I'm more like three, Joseph. Well, how, let's meet in the middle, how about five? You know, what are, what are they talking about? You know, what their home's going to be like. What are they going to value? How they're going to raise their children? What are they going to teach their children? What, what kind of things are Mary and Joseph expecting as they looked into each other's eyes? When we think about this, God's plan for Mary and Joseph, man, this is real for you. God's plan was so much better and so much bigger than anything that they had dreamed up on their own. Anything they had expected out in the future, anything they had desired, anything they wanted, God's plan, although it was very different than their plan, it was way better. See, they likely had really high expectations, but God's expectations were far higher. They were immeasurably more. And as I taught earlier in this month, Joseph was clearly surprised by the miraculous conception in Mary in the news, and he thought that she had been cheated on him, and she, she wasn't. It was of God, and once God straightened that out with Joseph, you know, he could get excited again. And, but, but, you know, they had these expectations, but, but, but they were unsettled expectations because Mary and Joseph pre Conception probably had plans. That maybe we ought to wait like three years before we have our first one. You know, let's get some time together. Maybe let's go on that trip that we've been wanting to go out to the sea before we, you know, settle down and start having kids. Let's get our home set up. See, see, God interrupted their plans. And, you know, as I was thinking about you and preparing this message, I just, I couldn't get away from this question. What if one of God's primary ways to exceed our expectations in the future is to unsettle our current expectations in the present. I mean, as a pastor, I love you know, praying with people and encouraging people and trying to help them in, in times of crisis and times of need. I had a couple of those that happened this last week, two different kinds of losses that people had, and they reached out. And, and you know, in those moments, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to evaluate life because your whole world's been turned upside down. And what I told one person, I said, you know, they say that if you want to get to a mountaintop and you're on a hillside, sometimes you have to go down through a valley to get up to the mountaintop. And what if, what if God has greater expectations than what you have for your life? And what if he has to unsettle your expectations? What if he has to kind of pry your fingers off that thing you're holding on to so that he can give you something more? Because the only posture we can really receive from God in is this open-handed posture. I wonder if we resist him and push ahead sometimes with our own plans instead of prayerfully being open to his plans. I wonder if we complain and we're impatient and ungrateful sometimes. I wonder if we get a little too rigid and inflexible when we should be available to God. See, here's my question. It's in your teaching notes this Christmas. You know, are my future expectations open to God's interruptions? 
Are my future dreams and expectations and hopes, are they open? Am I open, wide open to God and saying, God, on the end of one year, at the beginning of a new year coming, God, I'm open, I'm available. And and if you need to interrupt my plans, I'm, I'm available. See, that's what he had to do with Mary and Joseph, but he wanted to give them a greater gift, a more lasting gift, higher plan, higher vision. And that's what God wants to do in your life too. But here's the thing, (laughs) you know, you can hold on tight to your plans. And one of the things I've had to learn through life, and I'm sure you've learned it too, is that that God, he can interrupt your plans and expectations without your permission. (laughs) That's one of the things about God that sometimes we can kind of shake our head and say, oh God, really, why now? Why like this? But, but you know, we're, we're reminded in the Bible in James chapter 4 to live with this awareness. It says in verse 13, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, God can upset and interrupt our expectations at any time. But anytime he interrupts your expectations, listen, think about this. God has better plans for you than your plans for you. So whatever you're dreaming about this Christmas, whatever you're hoping for in the new year, God's got greater plans, and he had greater plans for Mary and Joseph than what they could ever imagine. Different universe, a whole different world, what what God had planned. And just as another year is winding down, it should remind us that life is short. Life's going to fly by. We can't control it. So life's better when we work with God's plans instead of working against God's plans. You know, there's a lot more love and a lot more joy, a lot more peace in that when we work with God instead of working against God. You know, it's, it's hardest, you know, I think with expectations that we really want to see happen, though. Right? What, what do you really hope to see happen in this new year? I'd, I'd imagine you probably have something that you're really just, man, I, this has got to happen. It needs to happen. I'm working for it. I'm praying for it. I'm hoping. Like, this is really big deal to me. I'm sure you have something like that. You know, our kids, like, like most kids have like copied me from time to time, just, just being silly. And I'm like, are you copying me? Are you copying me? Quit it. Quit it. Quit copying me. Quit copying me. And I could never get them to stop until I realized like the, the flaw in their plan is I just say things that, that they don't want to say. So I'll say something like, daddy, you can have all my toys. Daddy, <laughs> and then they think about it, got them, because they're, they're, they're questioning. They're like, if I say it, will dad really repo all of my toys? <laughs> what, what, he might. He's crazy enough. He might actually go in my room, take all, and they don't want to say it. But then they really like the game. They, they still like the game, and so they'll, they'll say things. They'll just change it a little bit. Daddy, you cannot have all my toys, <laughs> so they can keep the game going. We love to say things like, God, I surrender all to you. God, you're first in my life. Until you ask someone to surrender the stuff that they really care about most, their time, doing things that they prefer to do, you know, things that they really want, their money, their comfort, their pleasure. You know, we resist it. We resist it hard. But surrender, think about it. Surrender is the most beautiful place in your story because it's the intersection of all of your past who you are, what you have, what you've done, what you failed to do, all of it, your victories, your sins, your history, everything. And then at the same time, looking out into the unknown horizon of the future, what's yet to be, your dreams, your expectations, your hopes. See, I didn't get the message title out of order. I did that on purpose. Because your, your present is actually the last place that we want to deal with. It's not the future, even though chronologically it's the last place. Because, see, we had to talk about your past, and then we had to talk about your future hopes and dreams a little bit before we can get to this moment right here and talk about your present where you're at. Because in this moment, this is the most powerful moment of your life, because in this moment, on the edge of everything that has been in your life, everything that will be in your future, all of that in this moment, sandwiched between those two other versions of you, your past and your future, there's the current you, there's the present you, there's this moment, which is the only moment, by the way, that you can actually do anything with because you're in it right now. And in this moment, this is the most beautiful and sacred space of your life because it's the moment where you can surrender 
And you get to this moment again every day that God gives you. And I thank God every single day when I wake up. God, thank you for a new day. I commit it to you every day. That's my prayer. Because I, I know that if I'm not careful, my flesh will pop up and it'll try to take hold of today. And it'll try to live for today for myself and what's best for me. And I have to work so hard to say, okay, it's not about me today. And I don't always get it right. In fact, a lot of times I don't. But I have to say every day, God, it's not about me. I'm surrendering this day to you. I'm committing it to you. Because see, right here in this moment, between your past and your future hopes and dreams, this breath is the breath that God's given you. This moment is the moment that God's given you, and, and he knows exactly what your future holds. He's outside of time. He's always been. He always will be. So he knows what's been in your life. And I want you to think about this. This is so cool. Because he's first, because he's in the beginning, he saw your life he saw your life before it was even born. And he was there at every one of those little valleys that you went through, even the big one that, that you wish you hadn't gone through. He's there for all the regrets you have, the shame that you might carry, the guilt that you have, all the stuff that maybe no one else knows about. He's seen all of that, every single bit of it, yet he still, knowing all of that, created you, loves you, and gave his own son to die for you. Who does that? because he loves you that much. That's God, and that's his solution for your problem. See, you couldn't die for your own sin, although that was the plan, that was the, that was the law, is that the wages of your sin is death. You know, you, you, you couldn't satisfy it. You couldn't sacrifice for it enough. And so God made a sacrifice on your behalf, a death on your behalf, the death of his own son. Someone needed to die for your sins. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I love him so much. See, surrender is standing between the, the known and the yet to be known and saying, God, for the very first time or for the thousandth time, I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm surrendering to you because in this moment, God, I, I, want, I want to give all to you. I want to be humbled and surrendered and, and fully yours. You know, God's got an eternal story that's going on that's far bigger than what any of us can imagine. And he's got such greater plans for you than what you can possibly believe. And the best way to access it, the key that really you put in that little hole and you turn it and it unlocks your future, the real future, the best version of you, the best dreams and hopes that you can have, that, that key that unlocks the door, that's called surrender. And you got to do it every day. And you say, God, I want your best today. I'm unlocking the best of today. I, I want the best that you have for my family and for my marriage, for my job, for my friendships, for that future person I'm going to be with or that future job that I aspire to or when I get out of college or when I, whatever your thing is. Like, you, you just surrender that to God. You say, God, I want your plans. I'm going to work toward what I have in front of me, but God, I want your plans. And God loved you so much that he created a future for you, an internal future. And when you surrender to him today, that's how you access the future that he has for you. That's how change happens. For God so loved the world that he gave his own son, Jesus, born of a virgin, raised among mankind to save mankind. Surrender, think about it, surrender sets me free from my past. God forgive me, and he does. I've seen it, and I forgive it. It also frees me up for bigger expectations in my future because God's got bigger plans for my life. So let me ask you this question. It's a really important one. Are you living a surrendered life? How are you living today? Are you living for yourself? What's the compass? You know, what, what's the map? What's the GPS? Is, is it your own internal operating system that's directing you and calling all the shots? Because, man, I just got to tell you, I know it's bad news, but, but your GPS is broke. <laughs> and where it's going to lead you, you don't want to end up. You can't trust your own internal operating system without Christ. But, man, when you surrender your life to Jesus, and, and, and it's, and it's a, the first step of a thousand steps, it begins today. Like when you, you say, all right, Jesus, for the first time, I'm really surrendering my life. But again, you have to do it every day. You've been following Christ 20 years. You still got to keep surrendering. But when you do that, when you surrender to him and you say, God, man, I want your plans. I want you to direct me. You know what the Bible promises? That he, he installs an upgrade. <laughs> I know you love upgrades. You get that free upgrade. You know, you rid of the economy car to save a few bucks, and they're like, you know, we're all out. We're going to give you the upgrade, no charge. See, God gives you an upgrade when you start following him. And you know what that upgrade is? It's an incredible upgrade. In fact, it's an entire different operating system. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God comes inside of you, and it says that he lives in you. You're, that's why your body's a temple. You got to take care of it because this is like the one that God's given you, and inside of it is your, your soul, and it's the Spirit of God inside of you. And, and if you'll listen, if you'll stay close with him and stay in his word and prayer, he leads you, he directs you, he guides you. See, if you've given Jesus your heart, maybe a long time ago, you can still have walls that pop up. 
and you, and you stop hearing that that prompting of God in your life and knowing that 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 sensitivity of following God and, and so maybe this Christmas is a time to take some of those walls down they can happen through bitterness and brokenness when people hurt you and when you get hurt and when you when you struggle when you have needs I mean those walls can so easily come up sometimes it's self-centeredness sometimes it's 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 greed sometimes it's a focus on something that maybe that you really want that you don't want to surrender and you haven't identified it but those walls can come up and I just I put this final question in your teaching notes today have I surrendered every part maybe circle that word every have I surrendered every part of my present to Christ this Christmas we've always desperately needed Jesus to come save us and in the Old Testament, they dealt with this problem, this sin problem, through the way that God had laid out until his promise arrived, until Jesus arrived. And the way they dealt with that was through sacrifices. And, and they would make sacrifices. And one type of sacrifice, specifically the burnt offering that they would make, it was for atonement of sin of the offer. It, and it was to gain God's acceptance. And what they would do when they make the sacrifice, it wasn't just for specific sins. It, it, it was for the state of sinfulness. They were, they'd identified it and they said, hey, there's this, this sin cancer in us. Like we're identifying that and we're saying, like, God, we, we need your forgiveness and we need your grace. And they would, they would make the sacrifice and they would slay an animal and, the, and they, the offerer would put their hands on the animal and, 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 and representing like their sins being transferred to that animal and the wages of the sin was death. And so they, they would slaughter this animal as a, as a sign, as a statement. It's a bloody statement. I mean, if you love animals and nature like I do, then this just kind of makes you cringe because you're like, wow, like they had to do that. And why? And, and God was making a bold statement by allowing one of his creations to be literally executed to say, man, this matters. Your sin is a big deal. This doesn't just get solved by you trying a little harder, you just doing some good works. No, it's not enough. Like the wages of sin is death. All the, all the brokenness and violence and murder and rape and abuse and horrible atrocities that happen on earth it's because of this sin this sin's a big deal you got a big problem that can only be solved through death and they would offer these burnt offerings these sacrifices to to appease God's anger in a sense to gain his acceptance to to take care of the issue of the the sinful state of their heart that's that was a temporary plan that God had in place until Jesus arrived and see our sins separated us from God and it was it was this massive problem and that's that's this final part of the Christmas story I want to read this morning and it comes out of Luke chapter 2 where we were reading and and at this point when Jesus is born he's born into that context people are doing sacrifices they still have this sin problem. It's not really been dealt with in, in a permanent way. They're having to slaughter animals. I mean, all, 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 he's born right into this. And, and check out the joy in this. This is amazing. Pick it up in verse 8. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The angel said he's, he's a savior, here to save all people from their sins. And what, what was he saying in that? All people, the savior of humankind. He was saying he's come to be God's solution for your past problem, your sin problem. And I want you, if you, you're a believer, I mean, this should really leap out to you. If you're checking God out, man, this, hopefully this is eye-opening to you. Think about it. Like that sin problem in our past that sabotaged everything on, on planet Earth from that paradise that God made, he finally brought the solution, Jesus, and he's the savior for all people. Anyone who would call on him, he's the savior for that state of sinfulness. He came to be the lamb of God. And I want you to think about this. You know, born in a time when they were slaughtering these lambs, as, these sheep as sacrifices. In the temple, those who were in charge, the temple authorities of making these daily sacrifices, they would keep their private flock of sheep 
available to them. And we know that they kept them, they pastured them near Bethlehem. And we don't know this, it's speculation that some have said, but it's very interesting to me that that it's very likely that, that God was intentional like he was with everything else in this Christmas story that the shepherds that the angels showed up to were very likely the shepherds that were watching the sheep that were being brought into the temple and sacrificed. And it's as if God was saying right in this moment, hey, this, this temporary solution, this stopgap of slaughtering these animals and these lambs and, and, and trying to atone for your sins through them, that was a permanent, non-lasting solution. And, and these lambs that are right here before you that represent your sinfulness, these, they had to have unblemished lambs. They had to have perfect ones. They couldn't take the worst one out of their flock. And, and we'll give you that one. It had to be unblemished and perfect. And, this, and they kept this flock of these perfect lambs because they were going to take them in the temple. And the angel showed up and said, hey, there's, there's great news because the Lamb of God has come. The Savior of the world, the once and for all sacrifice. When he dies, he dies once and for all. You don't need to keep dying over and over because he died for your sins. Now you're going to die in the flesh, but he died for your sin. Let his sacrifice be enough. You don't have to work yourself to death trying to do good things to earn God's attention. You don't got to get so religious and try to, you know, earn God's favor with all these rituals and routines and sacrifices anymore. That was the old covenant. There's a new covenant. There's a a promise that's coming with Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins. And God exceeded the expectations of those shepherds on that night. I mean, how exciting is it to watch sheep? I mean, what are you doing? Sitting around looking at the stars, you know, hearing the noises of the animals, maybe some quiet talk around the fire. And then, boom, angels show up. The solution to all your problems in all of humanity is being born tonight, the Savior of all people. You know, I want to ask you something as we kind of move towards a creative end that we have planned here is, you know, what if, what if our expectations have been too low for too long? What if our expectations for our future have been too much about us? What if our story is, is too finite and too limited and too much about us and, and it excludes a view of our, our past and a, a hope of our future? See, God's got immeasurably more planned for you if you'll allow him. And our expectations for our families, for our friendships, our future, all of it, it's too tame. I'm telling you, it's too tame. And it's too oftentimes self-centered. And when you partner with God, I'm telling you, it's too small. Worse yet, Our lesser expectations are influencing our decisions day by day, and they're the limiting factor in your life. And if you'll surrender to the power of God in your life, I'm telling you, he will blow the box wide open and what he wants to do in your life. It'll be better, it'll be different, but it'll be way better than what you imagine. Way more joy, way more peace, way more hope. Ushers, if you'd come on down, they're gonna pass out something to you. It's a gift. Now, I gotta preface this gift by saying, please don't open it yet. Now, you can peek if you're one of those peekers, but don't you think that just ruins the whole experience? So just hold on to you. You only got to wait about three or four minutes, okay? We're going we're gonna to open it up at the end here in a second. But I want you just to grab one of these gifts, and I want you to hold on to it. And while you're holding on to it, I know this might seem a little different than what you might expect us to play for Christmas, but I want you to watch about a minute or less. It's very short, so you got to pay attention. Of the, expectance, of the acceptance speech for the Hall of Fame inauguration of what some say is the greatest basketball player to ever live. I'm a huge basketball fan and player, and you guys know that. So I, I, this, this had some fun meaning to me, but I heard something at the end of this acceptance speech by Michael Jordan when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame that just kind of rocked me. And I, I want you to see, I want you to notice what, what his world's been about. Check it out. I know you guys got to go. I know I've been up here a lot longer than I told my friends I was going to be up here. I cried. I was supposed to get up here and say thank you and walk off, and I didn't even do that. So uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. As I close, uh, the game of basketball has been everything to me. My refuge, my place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. It's been a source of intense pain and a source of most intense feelings of joy and satisfaction, and one that no one can even imagine. It's been a relationship that has evolved over time and has given me the greatest respect and love for the game. Did you catch that? It's everything to me. And, and you know, some of his lines, he's, and I'm a huge fan. I, I love MJB. He said, the game of basketball, it's been everything to me. It's been my refuge, the place I've always gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. My most intense feelings of joy and satisfaction have come from this game. He's saying, man, this game, this game, like, it's been my world. It's what I've been living for. 
and, and he accomplished a lot. He did a lot, and you could argue, man, that's like the top of the pile. The cream rises, so he, like, he picked something, and he nailed it. He was the best, and that's what a lot of people are living for, to get success, and he got it, and he said, you know, that's everything. That's, that's it. That's everything. That's my all in all. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but, you know, when you're a kid, maybe you got some kids in there, you know, some kids are expecting something for Christmas. They ask for that lightsaber. Star Wars lightsaber, they see this thing that looks like a baseball bat wrapped in packaging in the corner. They're like, I think I got it. It could be a bat, but I think that's a lightsaber. Or they want some Legos and they shake it. Uh huh. <laughs> that's got to be Legos. That just the sound is so unique. You can't hide it. I think that's Legos. You know, I grew up with two brothers, two younger brothers. We all about the same age, and so a lot of family would always try to treat us the same. They didn't want it, you know to be unfair. So one brother would open up something, and he got like some special new pajamas or something like that. And you're like a little nine year old boy. You're looking. You're like, Yep, I know what's in this box because they got three identical boxes. You know, oh, socks from grandma. There we go. Like it was. You knew that if one got it, all three were gonna get. You have expectations. What if what you've been expecting out of life, what if what you've been hoping is inside the package, what you've been striving for, what you're hoping to get out of life and open up, what if what you're hoping for, what, what if it was like what's inside this box? Go ahead and open up the box. Take, take a peek inside. It's disappointing, huh? You know, your box not a mistake. They're all empty. <laughs> it wasn't just you. Hey, where'd mine go? You know, so, so often our earthly dreams, what we're living for if it's not Jesus at the core in the end, our refuge, the things that we're running to, our dreams, our whole world, where we're finding our joy, in the end, if it's not, listen, if it's not centered on Jesus at the core, then it's going to be empty. If what you've been expecting out of life is of this world, then it's going to be like the gift inside this box on your final day. When you draw your final breath, it's going to be empty. That's what your world's going to be. And I'm sorry if this disappoints you, if, you, you know, but if your expectations are too low, you know, you're disappointing God because he has greater gifts in store for you. And at the end of your career, as it seemed that basketball was to MJ, if everything to you is your money or your pleasure, your experience, your security, your goals, whatever it is, your accomplishments, listen, in the end, if that's what you're living for, if you look in your past, you'll see, man, there's always been a need for Jesus. That's never, those things have never been enough. And if you look out into the promise of your future, I hope you'll be able to see today, maybe this empty box is something you can set aside and remind you that, you know what, I don't want to live for empty dreams. I don't want to live for things as great as they might be in this world. They have an ending point. There's a moment when they're all done, when they don't matter anymore, when the points that you put on the board in your life, really all they are is a distant memory that people will eventually forget. Like, listen, don't live for the empty promises of this world. Live for something greater. Live for something more. You're in the very best place today this Christmas to make the decision, and the decision is simply this. It's a decision of saying, Jesus, out of all of my past, I can identify I've always wanted you and needed you. And all of my hopes and dreams in the future, they'll never be as good without you. And so, Jesus, I'm surrendering today. Would you fill the emptiness in my life? Would you bring new joy to my heart? Would you bring new peace to me? And if that's what you want to do today, I want to encourage you, whether, again, you've been a longtime believer and you need to freshly come to him and say, God, I surrender, or whether maybe for the first time you need to come to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you a shot this next year. I'm not living for me. I'm going to let you do it. And, and Jesus, you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross and then you showed you were God when you rose from the grave and the resurrection. So Jesus, I don't have it all figured out. I don't understand everything that's in here, but I have enough faith to believe I need you and I want you today. My hope is that you will surrender this Christmas and every day that God gives you. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.